All right, saints, if you would, open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 2. John chapter 2. The key, the text that we're going to be looking at this morning is in John 2.17, where it simply says the disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. Zeal for your house. It's a quote from Psalm um, 69, verse 9, and, and within that, there's this understanding of really a passion for the house of God, what it was designed to do. Now, before we jump into just looking at this verse and, and using it, you know, not necessarily as a launching pad, but for clarification to what God is saying in this passage, I want to read to you again the first few verses. I want to start back in our text in verse 13, and then I want to read all the way down to verse 17 one more time. It declares this, now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And he found in the temple those who sold oxen and sheep and doves and the money changers doing business. And when he had made a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the changers' money and overturned the tables. And he said to those who sold doves, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then, verse 17, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house has eaten me up. We looked at this passage in its entirety on Wednesday. And one of the things that we focused on, I want to remind us again this morning before we jump into the fullness of what that teaching is that I believe that God has for us here on this Pentecost Sunday. We looked at two passages that you should be aware of, of what, Pent or what um, the Passover is. And then we're going to see how that actually falls in line to what the Holy Spirit does here on Pentecost. When we look at the Passover, the Passover was given to the nation of Israel, and it was given to the nation of Israel there in the book of Exodus. And what I want you to see is in this passage that God gives to the children of Israel, turn in your Bibles, if you will, or jot this down, Exodus chapter 12. As we get into Exodus chapter 12, a couple of verses that I want to focus on is I want to focus basically in verse 18 through 20. Now, we're dealing with this day that is going to be called the Passover. And in this Passover, there's going to be this understanding that God is going to want to have that lamb Killed, And we understand that Jesus is that Passover lamb. Jesus bore the price. But something that is unique with Passover is this. It's just not about the killing of the lamb. When you look at Exodus chapter 12, beginning in verse 18, it makes this statement in the first of the month, because it now becomes the first month of the year for them on the 14th day of the month at evening. This is Passover. You shall eat, and then he says this, unleavened bread until the 21st day of the month at evening. So you're supposed to eat unleavened bread. In other words, 
bread that does not have leaven, bread that does not rise. We understand that leaven is a type of sin. So he's talking about a bread that has no um, impurities in it. It's just simply a pure bread. It's not going to have that rotting agent. It's not going to rise. But he says you need to eat unleavened bread. And then he says this in verse 19, for seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses Whoever eats what is leavened, in other words, clean out your houses, clean out everything, that same person shall be cut off from the congregation of Israel, whether he's a stranger or a native of the land. You shall eat nothing leavened in all your dwellings. You shall eat unleavened bread. So in other words, clean out the house for seven days. Clean it, purify it, get rid of everything that is leavened. In Exodus chapter 13, he goes on saying basically that same thing, but I want to read it to you beginning in verse 1. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses saying, consecrate to me the firstborn, whoever opens the womb of the children of Israel, both man and beast, it is mine. In other words, that he, the children of Israel would kill that Passover lamb. That would be the redemption for the firstborn, the blood of the lamb instead of the blood of the person. And then in verse 3, it says this, And Moses said to the people, Remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand the Lord brought you out of this place. And notice what he says, No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day you are going out in the month of Abib, and it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swore to your fathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, that you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days, verse 6, you shall eat unleavened bread. And on the seventh day, there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and no leavened bread shall be seen among you. Nor shall leaven be seen among you in all your quarters. In other words, purge it from your, your life, purge it from your diet, purge it from your house. Verse 8, you shall tell your son in that day saying, this is done because of what the Lord did for me. I came up from Egypt and it shall be a sign to you on your hand as a memorial between your eyes that the Lord's law may be in your mouth. For with a strong hand, the Lord has brought you out of Egypt. You shall therefore keep this ordinance in its season from year to year. In other words, every single year when you come into the land of Canaan, which I've promised you that it would be yours, you need to perform this service. And when your children say, why are you doing this? Now keep in mind, it's just not why are you sacrificing this Passover lamb. Why are you going through the house and purging it of leaven? Why are you going through and for this whole week have no leaven at all? What's going on? He says, this is what God commanded. God says, I want purity when it comes to this service. We have to purge the leaven. And that's what Passover is. So when Jesus comes into the temple, the house of God on Passover, what is he doing? He's cleansing it. He's getting rid of the leaven. 
the merchandisers, those who are taking up this place. And keep in mind that what Jesus has done, he's gone into what is known as the court of the Gentiles. This is where those merchandisers set up shop. Now, the court of the Gentiles was supposed to be for one thing. It was supposed to be for the Gentiles who could not go into the temple proper to come and worship the Lord. And what had happened is these merchandisers have come in and they've made this area that should be a place of worship to the Gentile or to those that we're going to see in just a moment, those that had a, had a physical issue with them, that they couldn't come into the temple proper, that God says, here's a place that I want you to know that all are welcome. Well, what had happened is all this market is going on and it's consuming the area that should have been for a place of worship. So what does Jesus do? It's Passover. He's cleaning the father's house. And that's why it says zeal for your house, the desire to see it purge from what is not of God, that is not inducive to the Gentiles coming and worshiping. It's just a marketplace, chaos. And so keep in mind that what we begin to see here is this beautiful portion of what God desired for his house to be, a house of worship. And in this area, it was simply a marketplace. So Jesus drove that out to make it again a place of worship. There's another passage that you should be aware of found in, in Isaiah chapter 56. In Isaiah chapter 56, what I want to read is this, the first eight verses to you so you can understand what it is that's on Jesus' heart as he comes into the Father's house and he sees this one area given over to merchandising, given over to this place being no more than a den of thieves. They were ripping the people off. They were preventing the people who had a sincere heart to come and worship that they couldn't worship with that sincere heart. They were making money off people's desire to come to God. And God says, listen, I don't want your money. I'm the one who gave you all your money. You're a steward of this, you know. You, you'll give me that portion because it's mine. You'll give me that portion recognizing that I'm authority. But this is what the house of God was designed to be. In Isaiah chapter 56, beginning in verse 1, thus says the Lord, keep justice and do righteousness for my salvation is about to come and my righteousness is to be revealed. So he says, I'm bringing life, I'm bringing salvation, I'm bringing righteousness. And then he says this in verse 2, blessed is the man who does this and the son of man who lays hold on it, who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and keeps his hand from doing any evil. So he says, the one who is, is turning from sin, turning to me, he says, there's a blessing here. And now he says this in verse three, just in case you were thinking that it holds only to the nation of Israel, the Lord, through Isaiah, speaks these words in Isaiah 56, beginning in verse 3. Do not let the son of a foreigner, a Gentile, who has joined himself to the Lord, speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. 
You understand? He's telling the Gentile, he says, you don't have to say, wow, I'm separated from the people of God. I'm not good enough to come to the Lord. In other words, the nation Israel can come, but I can't. Isn't that a sad thing when someone thinks that I'm not worthy to come to the Lord? And, and there are many who are like that. And to be honest with you, there's many Christians who try to push that narrative to people. You're not worthy to come to the Lord. Well, the bottom line is what? None of us were ever worthy to come to the Lord. None of us are worthy now. But the blood of Christ makes us worthy. God says, I'm the one who deems you worthy, not because of what you've done, but because of who I am. And so he does this again in verse 3. Do not let the son of a foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, the Lord has utterly separated me from his people. In other words, saying, I don't belong to God's family. I could never belong to God's family. And then he says this at the end of verse 3. Nor let the eunuch say, here am I a dry tree. Now, a eunuch was a, a male who could not, because of either a birth deformity or a surgical deformity, was not allowed to have children. And so that would be a eunuch. And here he said this, don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. Don't let the one who can't give physical life thinking that I can't bring spiritual life. I'm a dry tree. I could never bear fruit. And this is where those that would have a deformity, they couldn't go into the temple proper, but they could, they could go into the court of the Gentiles and worship. And where this marketplace was going on, it was stopping them as well. And so you had this marketplace going on. Now, keep in mind that that marketplace could not happen without the express authority of what? Of the high priest. The high priest knew everything that was going on. So if it was going on, keep in mind, and most commentators agreed to this truth, that the high priest knew what was going on and the high priest benefited from what was going on. In other words, I will let you go in and make exorbitant amount of money through the exchanges that you're doing, but I get a cut because I'm allowing you to go into this part of the temple. You can't come into the temple proper, but we'll just let you go into the court of the Gentiles because I don't care about the Gentiles. I don't care about those of deformities. And this is where Isaiah so beautifully, again in verse 3, says, Do not let the son of the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord has utterly separated me from his people. I don't belong to the family. Nor the eunuch say, I'm a dry tree. I could never bear fruit for the Lord. Verse 4, for thus says the Lord to the eunuch to keep, who keeps my Sabbath and chooses what pleases me and holds fast my covenant, even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name. I'm going to give you a place in my temple, a place where you can come and worship, that you can have a name that you know that your name is there in heaven, that I love you and you can come and worship me purely, sincerely, openly, without distraction. And what have they done? They put in this court of the Gentiles a marketplace chaos where here those who would want to come and worship cannot worship. So what does Jesus do? He cleanses his father's house. 
Let me purge out the leaven. Those things that would prevent these, the lowly, those that society and those ones who were in the upper echelon of the Jews deemed not worthy. That you are not worthy to come and worship in sincerity. You can't come and worship with the, the power that, that I desired. And this is that beautiful thing where here the, the Lord says again in Isaiah 56 verse 5, even to them will I give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. You're going to come in and worship. Now, even if the Jews who are there in the temple proper, if their heart isn't right, they're not going to get to meet me like they should. But if your heart is right, you can come and you can even have a better position in my heart and in my temple. You're going to meet with me and I'm going to meet with you. I'm going to make sure that you have a place where you can come and worship. But what they've done is they brought distractions into worship. They brought confusion into worship. They've made it so that people can't come and just worship purely. And this is why, you know, through the announcements that they come in and say, listen, if you have any communication devices, mute them. Mute your cell phones, mute your smartwatches, mute your mouths. Those are communication devices. And they distract from the worship of receiving, you know, worshiping in song and worshiping through the word and receiving that. And so here he makes this statement. And, and I love what he says there in verse 5 again. Even to them I will give in my house and within my walls a place and name better than that of the sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Also, the sons of the foreigner who join themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord, to be his servants. Everyone who keeps from defiling the Sabbath and hold fast my covenant, even them I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. It was for all to come, and it was a house to seek God and to hear from God, the Lord God who gathers the outcast of Israel, verse 8, says, yet I will give to them, I will give to him others besides those who are gathered to him. It's so incredible to see here this heart of God, that God makes a statement, I want everyone to come into my house. I want everyone to have a place of worship. This is what God desires. This here is the key to what the passage is going on. So when you see Jesus coming into Pentecost or coming into Passover, he's doing what? He's cleansing the leaven from his father's house. And it's the zeal. That absolute passion that there be no distractions, that there be no one who's isolated, who couldn't come in to worship freely. And note this, that's still God's heart. Do you realize what God's heart is for you and for this temple of the Holy Spirit that is in you? He wants to make sure because the zeal for this house here. Your house there, 
the very temple of God in whose you are. The zeal is just consume the Lord. Anything that would distract you and me from coming and worshiping freely, what does he do? He purges it. He cleans it, removes the leaven. Now keep in mind, so often we think that leaven is just, is just sin. Oh, we're going to find out this morning, leaven is more than just sin. Sometimes leaven is what? Dead works. Sometimes that's leaven as well. And so what we begin to see here is this wonderful passage where, where God, through his spirit, brings Jesus in to cleanse his father's house. In other words, he's doing the work that God said to do on the Passover. Get rid of the leaven. And so these people that were going into this court of the Gentiles, preventing them from coming to worship, bringing distractions into worship, Jesus makes this whip of cords. He's not in a rush. He simply makes it up, gets ready, drives everybody out of the temple. And as he does so, I want you to understand he's just basically cleansing the temple. There's a passage in the New Testament, Gospel of John, chapter 11. A verse and a half I want to give you. The verse and a half is, is John 55 and the very first part of John 56. But it makes this statement, John 11, verse 55. And the Passover of the Jews was near, and many went from the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Do you understand? It's a Passover. I need a purification. I have to be cleansed. And it says this in verse 56. So they went to the Passover, before the Passover, to purify themselves. Then they sought Jesus. You've got to love how the Holy Spirit brings out this truth. They go to purify themselves, and then what? Now it's Jesus time. Once we're purified, guess what? There's only one more focus on our mind. I want Jesus. Now understand, know how this works in our temple. Once we're purified, once the blood of Christ was shed upon that cross, and he said these words, it is finished. Your sins have been forgiven. What do we do now? I want to seek Jesus. I want to worship Jesus. But what happens is this. So often in a religious mindset, that we come to this place of being so focused on all of our other sins that have been purged, that it becomes a distraction from purely worshiping God. Because I'm not focusing on Jesus and what he's done. I'm not focused on the fact that I'm forgiven. I'm focused on the fact that, oh my goodness, is there still so much work to do? And do you know what happens when I do that? I can't worship Jesus fully and completely. You know that the most purest worship that we do is right after communion, where you realize, oh, his body, his blood broken for me. I'm completely and wholly forgiven. And then we say, now let's worship God. Oh my goodness, we blow the roof off this place at those times because it's like, there's nothing holding me back. I know that it's not my sin that I have to focus on. It's Jesus that I'm focusing. It's his work that I'm focusing. I'm doing this in remembrance of you. And this is a beautiful thing that we begin to see. So understand what happens is when John the Baptist, 
and you know John the Baptist. We, we taught about him a couple of weeks ago. But there's a portion in the Gospel of Matthew that he says something unique and powerful. I want to read to you Matthew chapter 311. Matthew adds something to here. The Gospel of John does not. But he makes this statement. John the Baptist here declares in Matthew 3.11, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. So I'm going to bring you into the water for cleansing. That's what I'm going to do. Now keep in mind it's an external cleansing. It's a ceremonial cleansing. It's that kind of cleansing. It's one that you need. But he says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Do you understand? Pentecost. He's going to pour out his spirit. The spirit is going to become a fire. The spirit is going to become a zeal in us. And as we look to what that zeal is, when the Spirit comes upon us, keep in mind that Jesus had told the disciples, listen, that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you're going to be witnesses. Now, you're not going to be witnesses of your own righteousness. You're not going to be witnesses of your work. You're not going to be witnesses of what you've done. You're going to be witnesses of what? Of me. You're going to witness me. You're going to declare me, only me. Paul said, I desire to know nothing else except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to know the victory over my sin, period. Not my sin. I don't need to know that. I need to know the victory over my sin. Think about this. If you don't look to this last year, but we'll say five years ago, and then back up for another five years. Who were the losers of the Super Bowl? And some of you are saying, I don't even know who the winners of the Super Bowl is. But keep in mind, that's probably true. But you don't ever remember the losers of the Super Bowl. You remember what? The winners. So why are you focused on the sin? Focus on the victory. That's where the worship comes in. It becomes absolutely wonderful. And so we see here that Jesus is going to say, I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to baptize you. And this is what John says. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, understand what happens to impurities when water washes it. Most of it comes off. Fire touches it. It's gone. Do you understand? It's completely eradicated. And so we begin to see here... I love what the heart of God does within this. So as he comes and says, listen, zeal for your house. Zeal for your house is eating me up. I'm consumed, you know, with a zeal for wanting the temple of God to be a place of pure worship. A place of, of unpurity. No distractions. Now, that passage I've quoted a few times in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, where Paul said to the church in Corinth, Oh, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He makes this statement, you're not your own. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. 
Do you understand? You are the Father's house. You are the temple. And there's a zeal for your worship, your body, for this temple, the Holy Spirit. God has a zeal for you as well, for your purity of worship. And I think it's so important to recognize this, that the zeal for his house what he does with the Holy Spirit now becomes a part of us. A zeal for the purity of worship, a zeal that my body can be focused on worship. Let me say that again. A zeal that my body, my mind, my spirit can be focused on worship. Now, when I'm focused on Jesus and his work, oh, it is worship. When I'm focused on what he hasn't done, guess what happens? It now doesn't become a worship, it becomes a work. What do I got to do? What do I got to do? When we realize it's all done, I want to give myself over to worship. And so we see here that when it comes to this area of Pentecost, it's the Spirit who's going to come in and is going to do that purging work. It's the Spirit who's going to come in and do that purifying work. So I have two issues that when it comes to the Holy Spirit and the work that he does. Understand, the Spirit does two things. The first thing the Spirit does is He washes me. The water of the Spirit, the, the, the Spirit comes and He does a purging, He does a washing. The Spirit purifies me. The, the second thing, as, as He does this, this purification, as He does that, the second thing He does is this. Then the water of the Holy Spirit refreshes me. Do you understand? Two things we do with water. One is we wash ourselves. We wash our food. We do that. And the second thing we do is this. You get a nice, cool glass of water, and it refreshes you. There's just something about, you know, you can have a soda, cold soda. You can have a cold lemonade. But I'll tell you what. Sometimes when it's just cold water itself, there's just a refreshing that comes through just water. And, and, and keep in mind that when you have a glass of water, your, your urge is not to pour it over your head to wash yourself. Your urge is what? I want to consume this water. I want to be refreshed by this water. Not purged, not, not purged, not washed. I want to be refreshed. Now keep in mind the spirit will do a purging, but then after the purging is what? Now it's refreshing. This is the key to the Christian walk. So when we see here what the Holy Spirit does, initially the Holy Spirit will do a purging, but then the Holy Spirit, once the purging is done, is like, that work is done, now let's move on to the next. Let's move on to the refreshing. There's a passage that you should be aware of in the Old Testament found in Ezekiel chapter 36. I want to start reading in verse 24 of Ezekiel 36. It begins this. For I will take you from among the nations, gather you out of all countries, and bring you into your own land. And then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So, there is a cleansing. There is a purifying. And he says, I'm going to sprinkle you. I'm going to wash you. And I'm going to cleanse you from all your filthiness. I'm going to cleanse you from all your idols. Things that you've done wrong. 
things that you focused on that were in error. And then he says this, after that purging, now notice the refreshing in verse 26 of Ezekiel, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put a new spirit within you, and I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, and I will put my spirit within you, and I will cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will keep my judgments and do them. Then you shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. You shall be my people and I will be your God. You understand? Now, once that purging is done, he says, now there's just this walking to do. You're not going to have to be repurged or repurged. I'm going to just cause you to, through my spirit, guide you and lead you and bless you. So this is what we begin to see is that beautiful work of God. Now, there are two mindsets to the Christian. And one is this. The, the religious mindset constantly tells me, I've got to clean, I've got to clean, I've got to clean. I have to detox, in other words. Now, how many times have you in your own life realized that, you know what, I've got to detox my life. I've got to get rid of this, I've got to get rid of that. I've got to detox outward things, and sometimes I've got to detox the inward things as well. But we're so focused on the detoxing, but once the detoxing is done, guess what? Time of refreshing. And here in Psalm 51, I want to share with you this passage because too often that mindset is always detox, detox, detox. Keep in mind in Psalm 51, here is this, this Psalm of David and he makes this statement. And this is after he had had that affair with Bathsheba. He makes this statement here in the first three verses. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is always before me. And this is David. Now, keep in mind when this happened. It was right after he did a radical, radical sin. He'd sinned against his, his, that man Uriah the Hittite. He sinned against Bathsheba. He sinned against other Israelites as he sent them to the front lines with Uriah. David is so aware of his sin. And as he becomes aware of it, his whole thought is, wash me, cleanse me, wash me, cleanse me. I'm acknowledging what I've done. I need to be cleansed. And then he says this in verse 7, purge me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones which you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. As he goes through this, he's saying, if you wash me, I'm washed. If you cleanse me, I'm cleansed. Do you understand? He's now saying, if you do it, God, it's going to be done right. If I try to do it, I'm going to make a mess of things. But if you do this, that's why he says, purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness. When you've done this work, there's a celebration that goes on. And then he says this in verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Make it new, Lord. 
Make it new. You wash it. Make it brand new. And then he says this, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. The beauty of Pentecost is what? That God gave his Holy Spirit to sinners. Do you understand? Sinners. This is the beauty of, of what it is that God does. Now, now, keep in mind, these sinners had committed themselves to the Lord. They were in one place. They were in one accord. And Jesus recognized, listen, there, there's going to be my word has already cleansed you. Now there's just this little washing that has to be time after time. But what he does is this, when Pentecost comes, the Spirit comes, and they have this clean heart. They have this steadfast spirit. They have a power when the Holy Spirit had come upon them. It was a dunamis, dynamic, dynamite power that was given to them that were waiting on the Lord. And then it says this, after he says in verse 11, do not take your Holy Spirit from me, he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, restore unto me my salvation. He understands I have salvation. I just don't have joy because of the separation. I don't have joy because of the path that I've chosen. So he's not saying, give me salvation again. I have it, but he says, I don't have joy in it. I can't rejoice in it. I can't celebrate. I can't worship in power and sincerity because of the place that I'm in. Could you, through the confirmation of my sins being washed, that I've been purged with hyssop, that I have been washed whiter than snow, in that confirmation, I will once again have joy in my salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Let it be your work, not mine. This is the beautiful thing about what David does. And he says in verse 13, I'm going to teach transgressors your ways and sinners are going to be converted to you. Oh, I'm going to let them know that this is you, Lord, and only you. There was nothing I could do. And I think this is the heart that so often when we have this mindset that we want to always say, God, I've blown this and I've blown that and here I'm miserable here, I've done this and all these things are in the negative. And then we say this, God, if I know that I am washed, if I know that I am pure, I can have joy again. <laughs> I want you to understand what communion tells us. He says, it's a new covenant. Oh, it's an everlasting covenant. It's a work that I have done. I have given you the righteousness that God requires. And I've taken from you the sin that separates you from God. And he says, it is finished. You can now come into this table of celebration with joy. You no longer have to come in this area where you're like, oh my goodness, everything in my life is so horrible. I've done this and I've done that. Keep in mind there's this understanding that when it comes to sin, and I want you to realize what God sees as clean and unclean. There's a passage in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, that speaks forth very clearly to what Jesus says is clean and unclean. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, beginning in verse 14. I'm going to read through verse 23 for you note-takers, so you can jot that down. Mark 7, 14 through 23. Jesus speaking will begin this. When he had called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear me, everyone, and understand. 
Now, when Jesus says, pay attention and learn this, pay attention and get this, hear me and understand, focus on, grasp what I'm about to say. He says in verse 15, there is nothing that enters a man from the outside which can defile him. But the things which come out of him, those are the things which defile a man. In other words, you can't be defiled by things on the outward. What happens is this, your defilement is always from the inward. When you think about defiling, keep in mind that we think always it's the outside, it's the outside, it's the outside. And we think Jesus, oh, no, 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 don't worry about the outside. That's not defiling you. What really is defiling you is what's in your own heart. What's really defiling you is what is on the inside. And that's why Jesus said, what enters a man doesn't defile him. What comes out of a man, that has already defiled a man. In verse 16 of Mark 7, Jesus says, if anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. When he entered when he had entered a house away from the crowd, the disciples asked him concerning the parable. And he said, are you thus without understanding also? Do you not perceive that whatever enters a man from the outside cannot defile him? Because it does neither, because it does not enter his heart, but enters his stomach. And it is eliminated, thus purifying all foods. And he said, what comes out of a man, out of his mouth, out of his heart, out of his actions, that defiles a man. Verse 21, for from within, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts, adulteries, fornications, murders, thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lawlessness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within and defile a man. You understand the evil is not that you did this, so that's what made me do this. No, your heart was already there. What people do is this. They just jiggle the cup. Do you understand that when you're driving, you hit a bump and the cup spills out? See, the bump didn't cause what was in the cup. It just revealed what was in the cup. And this is the same thing what people do in our lives. When God brings people into our lives, events into our lives, and all of a sudden we react in a way that we shouldn't be reacting, you can't blame the bump. He says it's already in there. What the bump does is just reveals what's in there. You're driving along all smooth and we're deceitful of really what's in our heart. He brings along someone to create a bump and then all of a sudden this yuck comes out. And it makes a mess everywhere. We're like, it's the bump. Blame the bump. He says, no, no, it's always been in there. The bump just reveals. And this is here what the Lord says is all these things, keep in mind. It's not what's outside that's defiling you. It's not what's outside that's causing. It's already in your heart. I'm just simply here to reveal to you what I've already done. Do you understand? He's saying, I'm showing you what I've forgiven you of. I'm showing you what I've already purged you of. I'm showing you what my work on the cross is taking care of. Is that coming in clear now? See, this is what the Lord is. Every time there's a sin that comes up, I'm not worried about, oh my goodness, that sin has now, I've lost my salvation. That's not it. It's like, oh Lord, you died for this. 
I don't want to do this anymore. You died for this. Thank you. I'm worshiping you because you've taken this sin away too. You've taken that away. And every day I realize of how much he's taken out of my life, how much sin that he's purged from me. There's a passage. I want you to be aware of it. If you're fast, you could turn there. It's found in the book of Titus. And, and, and as we looked at Titus, two passages I want to give to you. The first is in Titus 2.14, where it simply says this, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Do you understand this zeal that has eaten him up? We ourselves, because of what he has done, we have a zeal for good works. See, in my heart, what happens is this. When I sin, I realize you've forgiven me of that, and now my zeal is what? What can I do to please you? Because not because I have to, or not because I'm going to try to earn something because I just got negative points. I'm still at 100% because of what you've done. So when I sin, it's not like, oh, I got back to 99, or I got back to 98, or you know, maybe I had a bad week, and I'm thinking I'm in my 60s. It's not like that anymore. I don't have to work up the percentage back to 100. Do you realize that, that when I sin, it's like, no, it's been done. It's been paid for. It's been paid for. And I'm still at 100%. And now I'm rejoicing because I haven't been brought into a negative position with your heart. Thank you, Lord, for your work. Thank you for what you've done. And this is what he says in Titus chapter 2. Verse 14, where he says, listen, this is what he's done. He gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. I have a heart to worship him and worship him and worship him because he keeps me at 100%. He keeps me right with God. And when I focus on that, and then if we come down to Titus chapter 3, I want to start reading in verse 3. But the focal point is here in verse 5. But I'm going to read through verses 3 through 7 so you get this context. But here's what Paul writes to Titus. He says in Titus 3, verse 3, For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, and hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior appeared, Towards man appeared, and notice what he says in verse 5, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of the regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. You know what the Spirit does when it comes upon us here at Pentecost. It's that confirmation. The Spirit does this. Let me read verse 5 again. Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. It isn't anything that I can do to add, but according to his mercy, his knowing that I'm such a dunderhead that I'm going to fail again and again and again. According to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration. It's the Spirit who does the washing, and then notice this, and then the renewing. Then there's a refreshing that comes. 
So I've been washed by the Spirit. The Spirit has now come and has brought me. When I need to, he'll come and he'll simply do this. Let me take care of this problem. Let me take care of this problem. Let me take care of this problem. But your key is this. Know that it's been taken care of. And I'm going to give you the power to walk what God calls you to walk. So you no longer have to be a slave to this because I've come and I've given you this refreshing. The water has come. You've been refreshed. You've been renewed. Now walk in this newness of life that I've created for you. So we're here in the regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you realize the giving of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost is not by measure? He says, I'm just going to pour out the Spirit and you're going to be overflowing and overflowing. And then having been justified, verse 7, by his grace, that we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is beautiful. And we're justified. Not because of any work that we're going to do. We're just by, purely by his grace that he has done. And this is what's so important. That we come to this area where we're walking with the Lord. And what we recognize is this. That, Lord, what I have with you is a work that's already done. If you're familiar with that passage, we've covered it before, but I want to look at it here this morning. And eventually we'll look at it in depth on a Wednesday night. But in John chapter 13, when it comes to Jesus after supper, he just laid aside his garment. He takes this you know, cloth and this towel girds himself. He begins to wash his disciples' feet. And eventually, Peter will make this statement in verse 8, or in, in, uh, um, in verse 6, where he says, Lord, are you washing my feet? And, and all of a sudden, you know, he's saying, I, what are you doing? Are you washing my feet? Jesus said, well, what I'm doing now, you do not understand, but you will know after this. And Jesus said, you shall never wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I do not wash you, you have no part of me. You have to let me continue to do a work. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said, he was bathed, and he'd only wash his feet, and he's completely clean. And you are clean, but not all of you. He said, I've already made you clean, but what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to wash your feet. And this is what the Lord does. See, the reason they wash the feet is this, because they wore sandals. And when you wear sandals outside on dusty roads, guess what happens? You get dusty feet. And then he says, all you have to do is just, just wash your feet. And so often we come to God. We come to God and we think, Lord, wash all of me. Wash all of me. Every day it's wash all of me. Come to communion. Wash all of me. He says, listen, I don't, I've already washed you. What I'm going to do is this. I am going to allow my spirit to come in and point out things that need to be pointed out. I'm going to lead you to my heart day by day. You're going to know my will for you. It's not always going to be the same will that he has for me. It's always sanctification for all of us. But to me, my road to sanctification may be a little different than your road to sanctification. There are times that my road to sanctification is smooth. There are times that my road for sanctification is what? It's tribulation. But it's always doing a greater work within me. And I trust God that whatever path he has for me is the right path. And it's so important to realize that this is the heart that we don't have to say, okay, Lord, here, you know, just wash all of me. Just, okay, I'm going to come in, allow your word, allow your spirit. If there's something that is not right, search my heart, then, then I'll know it's been taken care of. I know that it's been purged by your blood. And then I want your spirit to guide me in a way that would please you. Not because I have to, because I desire to. 
It's gratitude that leads me to wanting the Spirit to just simply wash my feet. And this is what's so important because after that regeneration, after that whole area of, of purging and cleansing, God's already done that. Now there's a little bit of cleansing my feet that he needs to do day by day, and I want him to do that through my devotions. I want him to do that through the prayer. I want him to do that just through his spirit working in me. But it's so important to recognize, God, I need you to do this work. And when we realize what happens now, it's no longer this purging that I need. Now it's what? Now it's the refreshing. I know that I am washed because of the words you spoke. And now what I want is this area of refreshing. There's a point where Jesus, and we're going to catch this in just a couple of weeks, is in John chapter 4, verse 14. He tells the woman at the well, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will come in him, a fount of water springing up into everlasting life. This is what Jesus promises us. When I give you the spirit, understand, there's an initial purging. But then once you've been purged, he leads you to my work. He leads you to the fact that it is finished. Now what the spirit does is he brings you back to my word that does refreshing. And it's come and refresh me again and refresh me again. This is the heart. Remember now that passage that we quoted there in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 where he says, and, and he made the statement, but you shall receive power. That word in the Greek is dunamis, where we get a word dynamite or dynamic, an incredible explosive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's Pentecost. And you shall be witnesses to me. To me is what it is. You're not a witness of, 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 of your sin. When Peter preaches that first message, he's not preaching his sin. He's saying, your sin, come to Christ and realize it's all gone. But you have to come to Christ knowing what? The sin drives you. The law condemns you. Everything that you thought made you righteous only condemned you because your heart isn't able to keep these things. And then so beautifully, what Peter begins to do is this. Peter begins to preach there in Acts chapter 3. And I want to read to you just one verse, verse 19 of Acts 3. He says this, repent, therefore, and be converted. Repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Christian, get this. We always come Wash me, wash me, wash all of me like Peter. Wash all of me. First, don't wash me. I don't want to be, be labeled as needing washing. He's like, I got to wash you. You've got to know that daily you fall short of the glory of God. There is no one righteous in your own works. Even now, as a saved Christian, as a pastor of a church for over 20 years, guess what? I still have to repent. I still sin. But know this. Every sin that I ever do, every sin that I will ever do has already been forgiven. And I come not focusing on my sin, but I focus on his work. I focus on, yeah, you, you empower me to walk what you call me to do. Empower me to walk away from that attitude or that frustration that you haven't called me to be. Those things that all of these bumps are jiggling out of my cup. Deal with those things, Lord. But what I want from you is this time of refreshing. 
And this is what Peter does, and I love his heart as he comes into that portion where he just so beautifully makes that statement as he says, listen, repent, be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. That's been our past, Christian. That's our past. Our sins have been blotted out. So now that they've been blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. This is what God desires now. Now I want to bring you to a place of refreshing. Now I want to bring you to a place of purity in your worship. There's a passage in the book of Isaiah, chapter 12. I want to read to you the chapter. It's only six verses, so don't panic when I say I want to read to you the chapter. But it says this in Isaiah chapter 12, verse 1. In that day you will say, O Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. You understand? (laughs) He was angry with me as a sinner. He was angry with my sin. I mean, he loved me, but my sin separated me. But now, because of Christ, his anger's turned away. Now he looks at me not as an enemy, but as a son. As a son that's going to be an heir of the kingdom. This is what he has done. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid for you, for Yah are the Lord and my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. Do you realize that when I realize you saved me, you alone are my salvation. You are my strength. You are my song. You caused me to come and celebrate. Do you understand the heart of what the spirit does? First, he convicts us of sin, but then he refreshes, he refreshes, he reminds us again and again. He brings us back to Christ, back to his work, back to his words, that it is finished, our sins are forgiven, and that God is no longer angry. His anger has been turned away. He now wants to comfort, yes, comfort my people. God is my salvation. He is my strength. He is my song. He's also become my salvation. Therefore, with joy, you will draw water from the wells of salvation. You understand? I now, with the water, the Holy Spirit comes. I receive refreshing and refreshing and newness and newness. That every time I take of the cup, every time I take of the bread, I'm new, I'm new, I'm new. I'm doing this remembrance that is what he said, the work is finished. And I love the heart because in verse 4 of Isaiah 12, he says, In that day you will say, praise the Lord, call upon his name, declare his deeds among the peoples, make mention of that his name is exalted. You understand he's not saying, tell them your sins, tell them your sins. It's not my sins, they're gone. Now tell them the Lord. Praise the Lord, he says. Call upon his name. Declare his deeds among the people. Make mention of his name that is, it is exalted. Verse 5, sing to the Lord, for he has done excellent things. This is known in all the earth. Cry out and shout, O inhabitant of Zion, for great is the Holy One of Israel in your midst. It's so beautiful that there's joy that we're going to draw the water, the washing that at one point was for purging. Now it's for refreshing. And when we grasp this, when we understand that, now we begin to see this is the heart of God. 
Now I come to this place where there's a passage in the book of Hebrews. I want to share with you just one portion. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, it makes this statement. The author of Hebrews says this, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit, so the spirit of God, as it is poured out on Pentecost, as it is poured out upon us, if we want it, how much shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Do you understand? He says, I want to cleanse you from dead works. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through this eternal spirit, who God offered, Jesus offered himself to God, cleanse us, wash us, renew us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is going to take everything prior to Christ, everything that I've done, and he's going to make it as if I've never done it. The Holy Spirit is going to take literally everything that you've ever done, every work that you've ever done to try to get closer to God. He's going to take that away too. Do you realize there's a purging of dead works? Every work that I've ever done to try to make myself better with God, he takes it away. So that what? I'm only left with one thing, the work of Jesus Christ. This is the beauty of this passage because it's how much more shall the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. He removes everything. And now we only stand before God because of the blood of Christ. I only stand before God because of the work of Jesus Christ. I'm only right because of his work. And when I do this, now all of a sudden that I recognize here that Jesus Christ and the work on the cross is the only reason that I'm here. And I always come back to that. And every time that I fail, I come back to that. I come back to that. And so I realize here, I can't add to that work. Every time that I do, it's a dead work. It's a work that doesn't give me life. Jesus alone gives me life. But I'll tell you what, these things as I'm walking with him, although it doesn't give me eternal life, that's been granted. It does give me joy. Because, God, I'm walking with you again. I'm walking in this place with you again. And I realize here that I have been crucified with Christ. And, and all of a sudden, I realize old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And, and, and this is what I want. I want to recognize, Lord, I want you, once you've purged me, what I need from you is this. I need that refreshing of your spirit. Thank you for purging me once and for all there on your work on the cross. And now refresh me, renew me. Let that be our heart as we come into this point of communion. Let that be our heart as we begin to celebrate what Jesus Christ has done, that we begin to worship him for all that he has done. And then when you come into this place of realizing you've forgiven me, then let the zeal, the zeal, that let nothing distract you from worship. Let nothing distract you from coming and celebrating what Jesus has done by going to the cross and by allowing his body to be broken and his blood to be shed. Let nothing distract you from that worship because it's been done. It's been done. And so many people come to communion, wash all of me, wash all of me. Let me tell you everything I've done. Or you can say, you know what? That's been purged. 
I know that's been purged. And now, if I believe that it's been purged, you can restore the joy. You can get me back focused on you, and I can celebrate you. I want zeal for this house. I want joy in worshiping you with everything that I am. And so realize what Jesus Christ is doing. There's such a passion, a passion to say, I don't want anything distracting these Gentiles and these eunuchs for coming, those who think themselves unworthy to, for coming to me in worship. And if you ever think you're unworthy when it comes to communion, this is what Jesus is saying, I want to purge that. If you think you're unworthy, if others think you're unworthy, I'm telling you you're worth it. You can come and worship freely. You can come. I have a place for you, and you're going to have uh, my, my heart. You're going to have my name. You're going to have my character. Come, and what I want to do is I want to remove any distractions. Anyone who thinks you're not worthy to come to this table and worship me, no, it's been done. So come and, and realize that Jesus had a zeal to get rid of distractions we too should have a zeal to say, Lord, work in me a zeal to get rid of distractions that I can come and worship you fully for what you have done in my life. May that be our heart. Amen. Amen. Oh, Father, we are so grateful for who you are and how you work. Only you, Lord, only you would do what you do in such a way to cleanse us. We're so grateful, Lord, that you went to your house your father's house and you cleanse the distractions from the purity of worship and that's what you want to do with us lord as we come to communion there's a purity of worship you say take this bread in remembrance of me and also do this cup in remembrance of me and and it's it's my new covenant for as often as you eat this bread and you drink this cup you're proclaiming my death you're proclaiming the victory over sin till i come it's always been a celebration of you, Lord. Forgive us, forgive us when we're distracted by other things. When the enemy comes and, and tries to make our, our worship into something that we have to purchase, a house of merchandise, where we got to get this right and get this right, and the enemy constantly tries to distract us with smoke screens. When you say, I've already made you right, come and worship freely. So knit our hearts to you, knit our hearts to you, we ask in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, amen. amen.